0: Well, good morning. Good morning. My name's Chris Moore. I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here at LBC, and I'm excited to open up God's Word with you and learn about what he's trying to communicate to us through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5, I've got a couple quick announcements for you. One is, is if you're new to our church, if this is your first time here, we're glad you're here. So glad you're here. Uh, we encourage you to stop by our welcome booth in the courtyard, and we'll, we'll have a free gift for you. And then I also want to invite you to a class that we've started recently called Starting Point, and that's the first Sunday of every month in Room A101. And that's for those new to the church who want to hear more about what we believe, who we are, and how to get involved, uh, because we want you to be part of the family here at LBC. And then the second thing is we have a luncheon after the second service, for Josh and Drew White. So last week we announced that they are going to be leaving in a couple months to pastor a church, and they're going to be doing what we call church revitalization. So it's a little church in a rural community that they haven't found out where they're going yet, Uh, but they're going to go to this church, preach God's word faithfully and accurately. So we encourage you to stay for that and learn how you can encourage them and so we can send them and do the things that we're doing well here at LBC in some, another church somewhere in a small community. Let me pray. We're going to jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. It does not return void, and it is alive and active. It is your word that you communicate to us. and Holy Spirit, would you illuminate it in our hearts, that we would understand it, and not just for head knowledge, so that we would apply it and do what it says, and God, thank you for the gift of your word that you did not leave us so that we did not know who you are and we, did not, we, don't not, we do not know what you want for us and how you want us to live, but you made it clear. So help us to understand it so that we can obey. Father, be with me as I teach. I pray that it would be accurate and clear and faithful to how you want to communicate. And God, that you get all the glory. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Eric announced that we were starting a new series in January. And this series is focused on how we can steward our time, our talent, and treasure. And he also described what it means when we steward these things well. It means that we are growing in maturity. And when we are not stewarding these well, that's a sign of that we need growth. We have an opportunity to grow. So tonight, today, we're going to be talking about how how do we steward our time? What does that mean? Why do we do that? But I want to start with a question. My question is: Have you ever made a bad decision? Yeah, yeah. Probably more so when you're a kid, right? You don't do that so much as an adult, right? I'm just kidding, we all do. How many of us have had children who've made poor decisions? Yeah, Raise your answer. So when a bad decision was made, let's go back to when you were a kid. Think about what your parents, how they acted, how they responded. Think about how you respond to your children when they make a bad decision. There's typically two questions we ask. One is, what were you thinking? Right? The second, why did you do it? They're both trying to get at the same thing. What was going on in your noggin when you chose to do X and Y? And so, those same questions I think Paul's addressing in this passage. He's addressing our thinking and our influences. And those impact how well we steward the time that God has given us. And so, what I want to try to unpack today is what does it mean to steward our time? How are we to steward our time? And why do we steward our time? But before we can get into time stewardship, we need to understand stewardship in general. What does it mean? to be a steward. or What does stewardship mean? And if we look in our Bibles, we see that the, the Bible describes stewards as managers, not owners. A steward is someone who is entrusted to oversee, to protect, and to wisely use the resources of an owner. A steward doesn't have free reign to do as he pleases. The steward is to do it according to the owner's will and for the owner's purpose. We have some examples of stewards in Scripture. One, the first is Adam and Eve. Adam was created, Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Who created the garden? God did. And God entrusted Adam to work it and to keep it, to maintain it and to do it according to his will for his purpose. Joseph was also a steward. First, he was a steward of Potiphar's household. He was entrusted to manage everything that happened in his house. And then later, he was entrusted. He was the number two in Egypt. He was entrusted to manage the kingdom for Pharaoh. And another steward we see is Paul. Paul was a steward of the gospel. He was a steward to proclaim the gospel. And he took that that work seriously. So for our context as Christians... Being a steward is the oversight, protection, and wise use of the resources God has provided. And so what we're going to see is that God has given us time, he's given us talents, and he's given us treasures. And he wants us and he expects us to use it, utilize it as a steward would, not as an owner. And so I think the reason why we're starting with stewardship of time is because how we steward our time really impacts how we steward our talents, which is simply our gifts, our abilities, our skills. Those that have been given us to us by God, those are not our own. God created that in us. And it's also going to dictate how well we steward our money and our resources. What we do with our time is very important. And we'll see how we think and who influences us impacts our stewardship of time. So first, let's talk about what What does it mean to steward our time? What is time stewardship? And let's jump into Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. And Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. And so in a sense, he's summarizing the passage before it. And when he talks about walk, he uses that phrase to communicate our journey as we follow Christ, our journey through this life as we pursue Christ, obey, and we follow him. He's talking, it's a walk. We continually walk and follow him. He says, don't walk as unwise, but as wise. He's saying there's, there's a right way and a wrong way. And there's a way and there's, there's a means for us to understand how to do that well. And then he says, making the best use of time. There is a best way. And sometimes when we're having to navigate how we manage our time, sometimes it's between something good. But God wants us to know what's best. What's the best way to use this time? And the reason we do that is because the days are evil. And that doesn't mean it's evil, the fact that the sun rises and sets, and the moon, and the stars, and the creation. What what it means is that the world system, our own sinful desires and flesh, and Satan are all present daily, every day, with the purpose of disrupting, deceiving, and destroying so Paul's saying, look carefully because the cards are stacked against us if we are not making wise use of our time. So let's talk, let's talk about time. So if we go back to uh, the first part of this verse, verse 15 or verse 16, making the best use of that time. Paul's not saying your time. He's implying that the time is not ours. It's God's time. So we need to recognize that, one, that God is the owner of the time. And then when he says make the best use, it's implying that we are the recipients, and it's finite. We don't have an unlimited amount of it. Psalm 139.16 supports this. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The days of our lives are set. We can't change that. So we need to make best use of what we have and what we've been given. Psalm 90, 12 continues that. So then teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Not only do we need to understand that our days are limited, but we need and we desperately need wisdom to be able to use those well. And the psalmist here is saying, please help me have a heart of wisdom so I know how to use this time. So we see that God has given us the gift of time. We have a set amount of it. And finally, when, we, when Paul uses the phrase, not as unwise, but as wise, the implication there is that we are to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found Faithful. As followers of Jesus Christ, God's given us time. He's gifted to us, He owns it, He wants us to be faithful with it. And so I want to define time stewardship for us this morning. Time stewardship is an acknowledgement of God as the owner of time. And me, us, we are the managers entrusted to faithfully use it according to his will and his purposes. So I want you to think about it. Do you consider time yours, or do you consider it God's? Because how you view that question determines how you're going to use it. The second question I have is, do you recognize the privilege of being entrusted to manage this time that you've been given? So now we have a good understanding of what it means to be a steward of time. The next question that Paul, I think, answers in this passage is, how do we do this? Like, that's great, Chris. So what do I do? That's a great question. Let's start in verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to continue to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So verses 17 and 18, he's using two phrases. He's saying, don't do this. Do this instead. Don't do that. Do this instead. And he's using those contrasts to help contrast what we are tempted or what we're naturally bent to do and saying, do something else. Verse 17, I believe he's addressing our thinking. Verse 18, he's addressing how we are influenced. Verses 19 through 21, I believe he's showing if you are doing this Then you are gonna see this. This is how your life is gonna be lived out. This is how you're gonna respond and live out this walk. So let's unpack verse 17. It says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And as I thought about this verse, I thought about a popular commercial. This is probably 10 or more years ago, but it's a uh, popular insurance company. They have a little green gecko as their mascot. You probably know who that is. But they had a commercial that was trying to explain how easy it was to sign up for their insurance. So they used a phrase, it's so simple, a caveman can do it. And so it's highlighting the fact that cavemen are dumb. And they're not not able to do complex tasks, which then they're including all of us as like cavemen. If a caveman can do it, anybody can do it. I think the Bible says something similar when we talk about foolish decisions versus understanding what the will of the Lord is. Proverbs 14, 15 through 16. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So the question that popped up was, why is it so easy for us to make bad decisions Why is it easy for us to have poor behavior? When we think about it like a caveman, it's so easy, a fool can do it. Our natural bent is to do everything opposed to what God has called us to do. You can read Romans chapter 3. We can read Romans chapter 7. Paul's wrestling with the flesh. The spirit that's in him is willing, but his his flesh is fighting against. Romans 3 says that none of us seeks after God. But when we, think about, when we talk about our thinking, I don't think as humans, we like to think. We have a hard time with thinking because it takes time and it's challenging. We have to process. And you can see that with your kids. I've noticed that with, with my kiddos as we've been homeschooling them. One kiddo in particular, when we're, when we're asking, okay, we want you to think about this, the answer is not very clear. You're going to have to, no, they, she starts crying, right? And so, so we're trying to help them think. But I think as adults, we still act like that. We need to imagine, what we need to remember is that the best use of our time is taking the time to think about God's Word. To meditate on it means to mull it over, to think about how it applies. Consider the Lord's will, not just for head knowledge, but for application. And we find that His will is written in the pages of Scripture. And sometimes, if, you've probably had discussions with people, I know I have, and I've probably thought this at time from time to time. When we get into a crisis, we want the answer immediately. And we tend to lean and make a decision out of a crisis mode. But sometimes you'll get a response like, well, I don't, I don't think the Bible addresses that. The Bible doesn't have anything to say about that. It does. We just haven't taken the time to think about it. And so we need to develop this habit where we're continually intaking God's word. We're storing it up in our hearts so that when we need to use it, it's ready and available to be used. When we find that the fool or ignores God, or the fool chooses not to put the time in to seek God for wisdom, but a wise man puts the time, puts the energy and effort in to understand God's will, and then he does what it says. So James 1.22, it says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the second phrase relates, and I think these two phrases kind of feed off of each other. Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What Paul's getting at here is who's influencing you to make decisions. If you've been in this room, and I'm not naive to the fact that There's nobody in this room who's ever been intoxicated with alcohol. But if you think about those times when you have been, have you ever made a wise decision? Typically, people who are drunk or intoxicated make pretty poor choices, choices they likely regret, choices that are likely destructive. When Paul uses that word debauchery, that's essentially what it's saying. It's saying it's destructive behavior or it's not considering the consequences of an action, and when you are intoxicated and influenced by alcohol, you're not going to consider the consequences of your behavior. I don't think that Paul is limiting it to drunkenness, though. We'll talk about it later. I think there are other influences in our lives that impact the decisions we make and cause us to make destructive choices. And so... I'm convinced when we think about influences, I'm convinced that there's some mysterious covert group that's titled they. That's the name of the organization. And we all talk about they. We're all influenced by they. And you'll know that because we'll talk to each other and we'll say, hey, you know, they said, fill in the blank, blah, blah, blah. We should probably do this because they said. And I want us to think about our experience through COVID. A lot of Christians were listening to they, and because they were listening today, they were filled with anxiety and fear and loneliness and despair, isolation. And those caused a lot of us to make some pretty poor choices. And often we made those choices without considering what God had to say about the situation. But God wants to remind us that when we follow him, it leads to peace, comfort, Joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment. Because believe it or not, we don't have a problem with people telling us what to do. Our problem is, is that we listen to the wrong people. We want to be told what to do, it's wired in us to have someone tell us and guide us. God wants to tell us. God wants to tell us because what He wants is what's best. And we have to remember that when we are wrestling and we are fighting and we think for whatever reason that God doesn't want what's best for us, he wants what's best. He created us. He knows how we're wired. He knows how things need to work. And we need to trust that. And then Paul's shifting towards the end of verse 18. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, has been misunderstood and there's not time. That's multiple sermons to unpack that. But I want to try to summarize this for you with a question. How many of you have been, uh, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, who's just continually making decisions that are destructive, causing themselves pain. How many of those times where you've, you've, maybe you've had a discussion with this person and you said, you know, man, I'm concerned about you. Maybe you should do this, 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 and this said. And maybe you've even taken them to God's word and said, God's word says this, stop doing this. You're destroying yourself. Please stop. And how many times did that person continue to live in those ways? And how did it, what did it stir up in you? Maybe frustration, maybe pain. Maybe you felt sorrowful. Maybe you were grieved by the decisions they were making. So we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's trying to contrast what it means when the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And we see that back in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians five nineteen, Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. So there's this idea that there's something we do that minimizes the Spirit's work in our life. It's when we actively ignore the Holy Spirit, when we continue to make decisions that we know that are not God's will. when We've set the Holy Spirit aside and we ignore him. It grieves him like we grieve when we watch other people's, watch other people destroy themselves. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and he's actively desiring to transform our minds and hearts, actively wanting to change the way we think and the way we live, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this mind or to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that Holy Spirit is the one that does that. That by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, and this is his, his will is good and acceptable and perfect. The Holy Spirit is our helper. So we need to put the work in and the time and to understand what the will of the Lord is, to tune our hearts to be able to hear when the Holy Spirit is reminding us of Scripture so that we can do what God has called us to do with the time that we've been given. And why do we do this? And I said this earlier because the days are evil. Satan, the world system, and our own sinful nature are against us. We have to stay alert, we have to be awake, and we have to make the best use of time. So my question for you all, and for myself as well, I'm not excluded from this, is who is influencing you? And whoever's influencing you, are they influencing you to live as described in verses 19 through 21? And I'm going to read that again. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul continues that train of thought in verse 22 all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. And in this passage in particular, he's talking about how we interact with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ within the church and towards God. And then he includes how do we interact with each other as married couples and spouses? How do we interact as parents and children? How do we act in the workplace? And if we are being led by the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is our influence, it will look something like 19 through 21 and what he describes in those remaining verses. So let's think about that in the opposite. When we think about this being the demeanor that we have towards one each other. Not that we always need to sing to one another because I'm sure you don't want to hear me sing. Some of you may not want to sing. But it's describing the heart, the demeanor that we have towards one another and towards God. A thankfulness, a desire to be submissive to one another because Christ was submissive to the Father. But think about it opposite. If you are always disgruntled and critical and unsatisfied and ungrateful if you're unappeasable if you're unsubmissive towards other believers or your spouse or your family or in the workplace it's a sign of immaturity and it's a sign that you haven't been managing your time well so it takes time it takes work for us to be influenced by the holy spirit and not ourselves and the world God expects us to put this time in. And the thing of it is, is if we're a believer, we have the Holy Spirit. He's ready and willing and able. So let's work with him and not against him. So I want to think about how did did Jesus make decisions? If we're talking about our thinking and our influences and how that impacts how we live, I want to highlight just how Jesus did it. So one, Jesus did not make decisions based on the pressure of his friends or his loved one or loved ones. Two, Jesus did not make decisions based on the emotions of the moment. Three, Jesus did not make decisions based on the threats of his enemies. And so we see in this passage that Paul tells us, stop doing the things that cause us to make foolish decisions, to live in a way that's foolishness. Put the time in to understand what the will of the Lord is, to do it. Stop being influenced by the things that are going to steer you away from what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you as you study God's word. And so we want to walk away with some application. Like, how do we do this? The one is, is, I think it's great if we always have Galatians 5, 22 through 24 in mind, kind of in our back pocket. And I'll read that for us. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, his passion, with its passions and desires. Often this verse comes to mind pretty quickly, especially if I've been sharp with my family. I struggle with getting irritated. That's something that I've, God and I have been working on a lot <laughs> for a long time. I get easily irritated, and I get reminded of this, this passage, Chris, patience. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. They've put the work in to, to, to try to ignore the flesh and, and yield to the Spirit's work in their life. So have, those, have that passage in your mind. Memorize it. The second thing is we want to identify time wasters and replace them. And when I talk about time wasters, I'm talking about the things that take up your time and the things that influence you. And I don't think when, I, when we talked about earlier, when we asked A kiddo, hey, why did you make that decision? Sometimes they will respond and say, well, Bobby told me to do it. And then we often respond with the the response, well, if Bobby told you to jump off a bridge, would you do that too? And I don't know, if you want your kids to be honest, maybe don't ask that question because they might say yeah, especially if they've been watching YouTube and they're like, oh, there's a bunch of cool things I could put on and fly or something. But when we think about Bobby, Bobby's not just the kid down the street Bobby's the dude on the phone. Bobby's the dude on social media. Bobby's the dude on the TV. Bobby is they. And sometimes we spend way too much time listening to they without considering what does God have to say. And only only you and the Lord know what that looks like. But I would encourage you to replace some of that with the Bible, to replace some of that with prayer. Replace some of that with fellowship with the church family. Replace some of that with time with your family where those devices are turned off. Third thing to consider is some of our connection classes. So Pastor Dave's doing a class on spiritual disciplines, and that's really what do we do with our time? How do we discipline ourselves to do the things that help us to yield to the Spirit's work in our life? We're teaching a class on financial peace right now. And that's a great way for you to understand how to manage your money. We're going to talk about that in two weeks, but I wanted to give you a head start on that. Uh, Jack Grimm and his class, they're going over sanctification. How does the Spirit work in our lives to change us and to grow us and to mature us? These classes are amazing at helping us to make better use of our time. And then I want to think about three Ps. One is plan. If you're going to replace something or if you're going to get rid of something, you got to replace it. And then you've got to plan it and schedule it. And then you got to be persistent. you got to continue to do it. And one phrase we need to stop using is I should fill in the blank. You need to replace it with I will fill in the blank. Because I should doesn't mean there's any commitment there. When you say I will, it feels different because it means I have to commit to this. Yes, commit to it. And then you need to protect your time. When I thought about that last point, I thought about uh, in August of 2020 is when I decided to go back to school and um, I was kind of scared to go back to school. I hadn't been in school for uh, 15 years. And I didn't like school. I didn't want to go to school. I got my degree just to say I did it. But this time it was different. I was going to go and study the learn how to study the Bible, learn how to teach. It meant a lot. And Heather and I and my wife, we agreed that we would, we would take this plunge, but we realized that in order for me to be able to do this well, I was going to have to have time to do it. And I was a little overwhelmed. How is this going to work? And so we sat down and we mapped out kind of my, what my schedule would look like during the week. And so the schedule typically looked Monday, Tuesday mornings. I I'd, I'd typically get up early get in my word, and i go on a walk. There was mornings where I got up late, I was tired, but I went on my walk, put in my earbuds so that I could listen to the word. I needed to start my day with the word because if I didn't, I knew I was gonna have a rough day. Then I'd go to work, come home, we'd have dinner, we'd try to play a game or do something fun with the family, and then it was 8 to 10, Monday, Tuesday, that was homework time. Wednesday, same schedule, but we came to church, right? So that day was... 8 to 9, I was here 12, 13 hours, because we're here on Wednesday nights. So I didn't do homework that night. Thursdays, we reserved. That was family night. Sometimes Heather and I would go on a date. Sometimes it would be just do something for fun as a family. Friday morning, my kids, they're homeschooled, so we'd all sit at the dining room table. My kids would be doing their homework, and I'd be right there next to them, grinding away on the computer. Saturday, we'd try to keep that open, but sometimes towards the end of the term, I'd have to use that day to do homework. Sunday was church. Sunday afternoon was homework. Sunday we would come back and help out in the college group. So if you think about that, there's not much time for anything else. There were no sports. There's no other extracurricular activities. That was a sacrifice we had to make. And like making that sacrifice, some of us are going to have to reorient our schedules to make sure that we use our time wisely. And it's okay to say no to things. We don't have to, it's not, you're, you only live once. Decisions we make now, we want to be thinking about eternity. And so when we get to verse 21, I think it really hammers why we need to be stewarding our time well. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We steward our time because of what Christ has done, who he is. Because Christ died for us, we choose to live for him. And the best passage I know to help us really understand just the magnitude of what Christ has done for us and the magnitude of what we've received because of Christ's work on the cross, his death and resurrection is in Ephesians chapter 1, just a couple pages before this, verses 3 through 14. And we're going to close out our time unpacking this. With the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We've been blessed. We've been chosen. Because of Christ, we are now holy and blameless before him. In love, he's predestined us to adoption. We have redemption. We've been redeemed from the pit of our slavery, from sin, through his blood. We've received forgiveness for our trespasses. We have obtained an inheritance. We have been sealed. We've been given. We've been gifted the Holy Spirit. So my encouragement to all of us as we're looking for motivation to make best use of our time. I encourage you to know this passage well. I'm encouraging you this week Spend time every day just reading that, thinking about it. Even have a little notebook next to it. Think about what this means. How does this impact my life? What should I do with this? Be blown away by what God has done through Jesus Christ for us. Another great way when we're thinking about being in the word, I want you to think of the word PATH. It's an acronym. When you're reading God's word and to help you not to just fall asleep as you're reading it, We've all done it, we've read it, and like, I don't remember what I just read. I want you to think about what is there in this passage to praise God about? What is there to be admonished? What is God convicting me about? What is he encouraging me to do? How can I be thankful? Where, what is hope in this passage? How can I be hopeful? What is God communicating that I need to be hopeful for? Be blown away by the amazing gift that God has given us, and that's Jesus Christ. But that would motivate us to live and walk in a way that's wise and not unwise. And so as we read all of this, this, this week, I was convicted. You might be convicted. I want us to be reminded of this, this end, this verse 14, when it says that we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit dwells within you and it's set. So Let that give you hope and comfort that you are not a lost cause. Holy Spirit's there to work within you, to help you. Hopefully it also will encourage you not to continually to grieve him, but to work with him, to be putting the time and effort in to listen. Let it encourage you to take action. And so when we go about the rest of the series, and especially today, we want to be a church who stewards our time and our talent and our treasures well. We do it in a way that brings God glory. We do it in a way remembering that it's his and not ours. That We do it according to his will and for his purpose. And that God would encourage us and give us the ability to do so. And so may may that be our church. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. So let let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I thank you again that it does not return void, that it is alive and active. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Dwells within us to work and to will for your good pleasure. God, I pray that you would help us uh, just as you've been revealing to us during this time in your word that the areas where maybe we need to, to work, God, would you remind us that it's not condemning, you're not condemning us, but you're reminding us there's areas that we need to work on. And like a loving father who is patient and kind and gentle, you're gonna work that in us. God, that you give us a heart to be receptive, and to respond in the way that you would call us to. Thank you that we have a church that we can do this together. We're not alone. And Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, in Jesus. name, Amen. And so a couple times a month here at LBC, we, we take communion. Um, and we think about communion. I'm reminded of, Ephesians 1 and and verses 7 through 10, and we read that just a bit ago. We think about communion, we do it in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. We do it and we do, it's to revere him, it's to honor him. To remember the work that he did on the cross is is the reason why we are able to have a relationship with the Father. It's through the work, it's through his death and his resurrection that we have been made right. And so when we think about that, if you are not a believer here this morning, I would encourage you to not partake of the elements. We encourage you to think about what it means to have a relationship with God. Think about what Christ has done. And then consider repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to reread Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, even those who are lost, those who are, who are his enemies those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. And before coming to know Christ, that's who we are, who we were. To unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is just take a moment to reflect on what Christ has done. This time is also a time for us to reflect, confess sin and, and repent and and then what we're gonna do is after that, then we're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna say thank you and show our gratitude to God for what he's done for us. So right now, let's just let's just take a moment and think about that. so together we will take the bread I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11:23. for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread in remembrance of me. And Paul continues, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." And I'll pray and let's let's rejoice together. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Thank you, Father, for redeeming us through your son. Thank you for the blessings that we receive because of the work of your son. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you did, the purpose that you had and fulfilled by going to the cross. For the joy that was set before you You went to the cross despising the shame. We thank you for that work. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you because of it. Father, we thank you. May we celebrate. May we rejoice. Thank you, Jesus' name. Amen.